But I'm very sort of thoughtful and intentional about who's in my life. And I think that so many people just kind of stumble around and it's really about like who just happens to be in the light of fire. I think that the most successful people are really intentional about how they build their careers and who can sort of support that. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Dee Poku, founder of the We Suite, an organization that brings together ambitious women leaders who work to drive action for themselves and for each other. Dee's perspective on building community is instructive, particularly how she encourages women to be more transactional in asking for what they need. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Dee, it is so great to have you on our Women on the Move podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I am so happy to be here and to see your face. You know, we are doing this virtually, but I really can't wait till we can see each other again. It has been several years since we were able to do events in person, bringing women together, founders, investors. So I can't wait till we can actually do that. I know it's been a complete sea change, but hopefully there are new and exciting things ahead for the world. Indeed, indeed there are. So let us talk about what you're up to, the business you yourself have founded, and also your career, because I think there's so many good things we can talk about and people will really learn a lot from your own journey. But let's talk about the We Suite first and how it evolved. You know, tell us how the business grew over time. What was your initial concept for it, what you wanted to do initially, and how have you grown it since? Sure. So I started many years ago with a conference. And so it was called the We Symposium, and it was created in response to what I felt was a very sort of closed off business conference sort of space. It was like mostly filled with men, both on stage and off, often to price prohibitive. And it just felt like there was a sort of gaping hole to create something that was just more open for women and to give women a platform and to connect and to show our own story. So that's where I began. And then to sort of fast forward to the We Suite, what I began to realize as a community builder was that women were coming to the conferences attracted by the names, but they were really coming to connect with other women. They were really coming to find community. And so, you know, as time went on, I realized that there was a way to sort of serve those women better than in a sort of anonymous big space where they had to figure out how to connect with one another. And so instead of getting bigger, I just got smaller and created, you know, more sort of intimate spaces for women. And then also with the conferences, it was fairly broad, so anyone could attend. And again, it just felt like, like, how am I being of true service? Like, how am I really connecting to the needs of my audience? And I have to be a bit more specific about who I'm serving. And so the conference sort of evolved into a membership network purely for women in leadership. So that's really where that evolution came from. I love how you took those insights and really put that back into a business and pivoted that. You know, we are finding too that we put on conferences, we have named speakers, and what we constantly hear back is great. We love to hear from so and so, but we really want to network with each other. We really want to get to know each other better. And it constantly comes out as feedback. So it's really interesting you brought that up as something that you were trying to deliver on. And so tell us about the membership behind the We Suite. What do you get when you're a member? What does that look like? The sort of ethos of the We Suite is that we're providing a space where women can be more actionable and transactional in their relationships. 
again, it's like everything I do is, and everything like most founders do is in response to a gaping hole to, you know, something they see, you know, it's sort of not happening in the wider world. And for me, there are so many wonderful women's conferences, women's spaces, women's communities. But as someone who cares so deeply about women's advancement, what I felt was missing was that sort of true deal making that would really sort of catapult us to success. And so there was a lot of sort of sympathy. But when I look at someone like my husband, like within five minutes of meeting someone, they've exchanged business cards and they found a deal to do. And I think that to broadly generalize with women, you know, we're relationship builders. It takes a little bit longer. And then we draw these, like there are these sort of invisible lines in the sand that we draw around conversations about business and money. And I just wanted to get rid of all of that and create a space where women have permission to ask. And so that's really like what the We Suite is, is like this sort of information exchange. It's a lot of referrals, introductions, check writing. Like it's very, very transactional in that way. And I feel like people just get truly tangible results. But structurally, you know, we put our members, when they join, they fill in a form and they tell us like what their goals are, where they're trying to get to. And we put them in cohorts that we call suites that meet once every four to five weeks. And it's basically like having your own personal advisory board. And we're very sort of thoughtful about how we put women together. I think for executives in particular, it's really valuable because... As someone who was a corporate executive, you can get sort of siloed and you're sort of in your company echo chamber. And so the ability to be in a room with your peers, but from other companies or just sort of cross-functional, other cross-functional leaders and founders, like all in a room together, sharing that expertise gleaned over, you know, via sort of different paths, I think is a really valuable thing to give to our members. So that's kind of at the core of what we do, as well as offering masterclasses around how to be a better business leader, sort of somewhat inspired by the executive MBA program. So like, you know, really kind of thoughtful, tangible, meaty stuff. I'm really intrigued by this notion of being more transactional, that that is such a purposeful thing you're trying to do. When I think about men, as you mentioned, going out in the world, they are meeting quickly, getting something out of that meeting, getting on the golf course to do business. And you're right, that transactional piece, I think, is always like forefront in their minds, whereas for women, that relationship building seems to be more critical. Do you find women gravitate toward this and kind of get it? Or do you think you, you need to spend time teaching them? It's okay to be transactional. We want you to get further and you don't have to just go deep every time with someone on the sympathy front. You can be more on the transactional side faster. You know, it's interesting because I remember when we were sort of building out the sort of brand story and sort of brand positioning. I mean, I used the word transactional and everyone thought it would be off-putting because it just sounded like so business-like and without sort of heart and soul. And I said, you know, but that's the word. I can't think of a better one. And so, you know, every time I meet a new potential member and I talk to them about like, you know, what our values are, and I use the word transactional, their eyes light up every single time. They love that word. I think that we've been looking for that, but there's just something about societal conditioning that, that sort of forces us to box ourselves into a certain way of being. But actually, like given permission, you know, we just also want to just get to the point. Like we have ambitions, like there are things we want to get done. As women, we're sort of very efficient and we multitask. So like that's who we are. 
And so we're just kind of translating that over into business. And so they love it. And I think that what's great is that, you know, we really sort of believe in culture building. We've sort of set this culture that says like, this is what we do. Like everyone's giving, which means that everyone is obviously receiving. And so every new member that comes in who might be sort of a little bit sort of nervous about that dynamic, they find their feet pretty quickly. They're like, oh, this is how it works. Like I've always wanted to do this. Like I need something. I'm going to ask. Oh, wow. I just got it. What does success look like to you? Like, how do you measure it right now, whether it's growth in the business or some other outcome for your members? And what does it look like to you three to five years from now? I mean, what I say about right now is that I'm trying to redefine the way women achieve success for themselves and for their companies. We're doing that by really sort of personalizing the experience of career progression for women. And so as someone, you know, who work for big companies, obviously like companies have training programs and and all sorts of ways that they provide professional development for their employees. But, you know, we're individuals and we all come with our own ideas and positives and negatives. And, And so it's very hard to find that sort of one size fits all solution in any environment. And that's really what we're trying to do for our women is say, like, come here and you have your company, but in this space, you can chart your own career path. And we're going to provide you with the infrastructure with which to do that. And so for me, success is you join the We Suite and start with a set of goals. And within a year, you've achieved them, or maybe they've sort of shifted, but you really sort of have a clear path to success and that you're getting there. In the longer term, I want to build a big global platform that, you know, is to women in business what sort of Disney is to kids, like this place where it's a kind of rite of passage, like this is where you go to figure out your career. um, And these are the people that help you do it. So Dee, you're so active, I think, in thought leadership as well. You know, you really put out a lot of content on LinkedIn, learning from your business, from your vast network. I mean, I really love following you there. And one thing I think you've been lending your voice to in the pandemic is continuing to help women as so many of them dropped out of the workforce or stepped back from their careers for child and other obligations. And one thing you've tried to stand up is an initiative called Two Million Mentor Minutes. And I'd love it for you to tell us about that. What does that mean? Why is mentorship so important right now? And what are you trying to achieve with this? It's an interesting one because I talk a lot about how I don't believe in mentorship and I believe in sponsorship. Women are, you know, over-mentored, under-sponsored. But at this particular point in time, you know, where we were, we were in the middle of a crisis and women were bearing the brunt of that crisis. And moms in particular, and black and brown women were really bearing the brunt of that crisis Mentorship was really what was needed in that moment. There is nothing sort of worse than being in the middle of a crisis and then feeling completely isolated and alone and trying to figure out how to sort of dig yourself out from under the sort of pressures that you were under. So many women either left their jobs or were forced to leave their jobs. I mean, I had some really heartbreaking conversations with friends, like, you know, women who prior to the pandemic were on a path, were successful. And I remember one friend, you know, a mom at school saying to me, I've lost my livelihood. We're leaving the city. I'm not sure what's happening with my husband's work. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and it's just not what I wanted for myself. And she was really broken. And so it just felt like what was needed was like a place to go to have a conversation and to get some sort of advice and a sounding board to help you just figure out what was next. And that was really where Two Million Mentor Minutes came in. We had this thriving community of 
women leaders and, and we were just trying to think about like what could we do right now in this moment that would be completely turnkey and that would be hopefully incredibly useful. We have our time somewhat. And so we just put our members to work and created this campaign where women could donate 60 minutes of time to a woman in need. And it was incredibly successful. And I think that it was because like everybody wanted to do something like we all felt so helpless, just being able to just post to your platform or send a note to your network to say, hey, I have 60 minutes to give or 120 minutes to give. Take advantage, I think was just a simple, effective idea. I love that. And so even non-members could do that. They could go out and mentor and spend their time with other women too. And how far along are you in the goal toward the 2 million? Gosh, I've lost track now. (laughs) But in the sort of, you know, multiples of thousands, yes. I'd love to talk to you about your career history. So before you were an entrepreneur, you were an executive, you were with several media companies. Tell us about how your career started and what drew you to that business and the different experiences you had in the entertainment sector. Yeah, I mean, I think I started my career much like many other young people, not quite knowing what my passion was and where I wanted to be. I'd studied math at college, but did not want to be an actuary, which is, I think, you specialize at. I was like, the path open to me, <laughs> or an accountant. I was like, mm. took a few right and left turns and ended up in the entertainment industry as a marketer. I love movies so much. When I was sort of single and without children, I would spend an entire weekend watching every single movie. Didn't matter if it was good or bad. I just loved the experience of escaping into movies. And so I was definitely sort of doing something I loved so much. My sort of special source was really working on OTA-driven films and really figuring out how to find an audience for an independent film and really take it out into the mainstream. So my job was amazing. The industry is another matter. This was in the sort of thick of what is now called Me Too, but in just a very sort of a wild, wild west environment where there was sort of no boundaries and, you know, sort of heavily male dominated and not a lot of power for women, even very successful women or very successful women celebrities. Like there was definitely a sort of a structure and a hierarchy that did not support women and that sort of infantilized and sort of condescended to us. It was really about sort of navigating all of that and trying to find your voice within it. As a woman, also, I was sort of often the only woman or certainly the only black woman in many rooms and sort of stereotyped often as well. So, yeah, there was a lot. What did you learn from that time there in marketing roles, branding roles that you felt was important to your current career as an entrepreneur, particularly building this community? I mean, I really learned about the power of partnerships. I think it really informs everything I do big and small. Like whenever I have an idea, I think about like, who can help me flesh this out? Like who can help me put meat on the bones? Like I never sort of go alone in anything, what we would do in the film business. And it was all about building blocks, but also understanding strategically how you build those blocks and who needs to come first to unlock successive elements to the bigger idea. You would have a film and a script and you would think about like, who is the right person to attach to this? But we want Angelina Jolie, but we can't ask her yet. So 
who's the writer that would attract her will get that writer like so it's really about like really being smart about how you sort of navigate and I've really carried that into everything I've done and so when we hosted those early conferences we were very successful at getting some really huge names and it was very much the same strategy of thinking about like who comes first and then who follows and who follows then suddenly you have something that everybody wants to be a part of because you've been really smart about how you structured it. I love that. I love that building block concept. I love the partnership concept. As you're describing it, I'm thinking wonderful for building a business, but also for a career. Who might you need to talk to first and then second or what experience first and then second? It seems so relevant in both areas. I'm a big believer in what I call intentional community. I build communities and I'm a super connector, whatever you want to call it. But I'm very sort of thoughtful and intentional about who's in my life. And I think that so many people just kind of stumble around and it's really about like who just happens to be in the line of fire. I think that the most successful people are really intentional about how they build their careers and who can sort of support that. And they're constantly sort of reassessing at every milestone. And I think that's really sort of the key to building successful community and building a successful career. So I want to build on this a little more because you are a community expert and builder. Do you think of yourself as having to have a certain size community? You know, there's research that says beyond 150 people, you really can't deal with them very well in your own personal community. So do you have a number in your head? And if so, what is that? And then as you get to that number, do you feel like you have an inner core, like a board of directors, and then another set of people and another? How do you personally think about your own community? So I don't think about my community in terms of size, but in terms of concentric circles. I think about myself as a multi-layered, multi-faceted person with different needs and sort of affinities that ebb and flow and change as I grow. I'm a woman, I'm a mom, I am a founder, I'm a black woman, I'm African, and they're all really sort of very important parts of my identity and obviously sort of come together in a unique form to sort of make up who I am. But at different points in time, I want to lean into those different aspects of me. And so I remember when, as a mom, you know, when we were first thinking about schools, I had gone to stay with some friends for the weekend. Uh, they were both moms. And we spent the entire weekend talking about schools, nonstop, every second, and happily so. And obviously, like, that's just not a conversation I'm going to have with friends who don't have children or with friends in business. At that moment in time, like being a mom and finding the right school for my kid and the right environment for my kid was like all I was focused on. And so I really wanted that mom community to be strong around me. Now, as a founder and as I try to scale my business, I'm very, very focused on being with other founders who can provide sort of insight and expertise on how I grow as a black woman during the George Floyd protests. There were some conversations that we were having with each other. There was that shorthand, we really understood. I really sort of think about community in that way and that I can always sort of draw from these like different micro communities to support where I'm at at any moment in time. And those really grow with you. And so if you are self-aware and you are intentional about how you are growing as an individual, then, you're, then that is also changing around you. So you're not being held back 
as you try to move forward. And that's really important. So it's less for me about size. That is great. That makes so much sense. I think it's so relatable as we all bring different facets of ourself in life and in our careers and needing different people. So thank you for that. You know, in building a community, you need to network. And I read a story where you talked about being in France on a business trip once when you were in the entertainment industry and you were asked to join some folks for dinner. And I would love for you to tell us that story as it's a really interesting networking story that maybe left you with a little regret at the end. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but tell us what happened there. Absolutely. If there is one thing that I would change about my life pre-entrepreneur, it's the amount of time I spent with my head down in my books, in my computer. I really believed that the key to success was in how much work I did. And obviously it is about doing the work and producing great results. But that's really only half the story. And the higher up the ladder you go, the more important those other aspects are. And so the Cannes Film Festival was always like a a big endeavor for us as a company. And as head of international marketing, I was hugely busy proving myself and working really hard. And so we went to the Cannes Film Festival and I had so much work to do. And I just wouldn't go to anything. I would sort of go to work things and then like just go back to my sort of hotel office and and work more. And I remember sort of leaving one of our events. I was in the elevator with the head of the studio and the head of Viacom and one other. And they were going out to dinner and they invited me to come along. And I stupidly said no. Basically, I was in the elevator with the two most important people in the company, in media, an opportunity I would probably never get again in my life. And I said no, because I wanted to go back and do more work. And it was like, not my smartest move, a year's worth of work and got the same result from that one dinner. Advice to women, look up and look around you and think about like the relationships you're building around you and what's going on around you as well. Oh, that's a great reminder. Go to the dinner, go to the lunch, take the invitations. The work will still be there and you can always get back to that. So you mentioned that you were a math major when you were in college, and it's so interesting that that has been your background, and then you went to very creative roles with it. Obviously, math is still great for everything, but tell us about growing up with maybe parents who wanted you to do certain things or really encouraged you to do certain things and how that influenced the paths you took early on. I'm the child of Ghanaian immigrants. They moved to the UK from Ghana in the 60s, a difficult time for them and just openly racist environment for them as like two people just trying to forge their own path in a strange land. I know that it was difficult. And so what they wanted for their children was stability. That's sort of often the case with immigrant parents is they work so hard to sort of provide you with education and the sort of infrastructure with which to succeed. And they really want you to succeed, but they really want that to be something that is sort of stable and long-term. I was a good kid and wanted to do right by them. And I completely understood. And so I just found myself on this path that wasn't necessarily my path. It was really their path where, you know, I was a a little girl who was good at math and sciences. And so my teachers and my parents just sort of encouraged that. My dad's a doctor, my mother's a nurse. So they also sort of come from that anyway. So I found myself on this path and all the way to college where I went to study electronic engineering. Being at college was like my first moment of freedom. My parents were quite strict. So I was definitely quite protected. And then suddenly I was like in this space, like, wow, like, what do I do with all this freedom? So went to my classes and found myself in an environment where I was the only black girl. 
And I was just surrounded by a bunch of dudes, a bunch of white dudes. It was just a very alienating environment. The conversations they were having, I just didn't really feel included in. I felt very sort of isolated and alone in that space and just not very happy. And it was really the first time where I had a little bit of autonomy. I didn't have my teachers or my parents in my ear telling me what to do. And so I decided to rebel just a teensy bit. Like I didn't go off and sort of study like theatre or art. I just sort of like inched across slightly to study math. That was like a big rebellion. I love that you portray that as a rebellion going to math instead of engineering. My goodness. So math felt like a little bit more artistic and creative than engineering. Obviously now we're having these bigger conversations about why there aren't more women in STEM. And I was certainly an early victim of that, I guess. So Dee, you've had you know, many years now of building your own business. And among the many things that comes with that, presumably is rejection, is hearing no, whether that's in fundraising or building the business in some other way. I would love to hear your advice on rejection because I think you have a really interesting take on it, especially when you do hear the word no. I have heard the word no so many times in my life, so many times today even. One is when I first transitioned from being an executive to becoming a founder. I had this sort of great cushion as an executive working for a fancy company where not that many people said no to you. And so when I became a founder and I had to go out on my own and just be like D as opposed to D from X, it was like a real jolt to the system. And I remember I'd reached out to an old colleague about what I was doing and wanted to connect with her and pitch her. And as soon as she heard that I'd left my job, she just sort of lost interest and then ghosted me. Like, I just never heard from her again. That's very L.A. And so I was, you know, sort of pretty dejected about the whole process. And I remember I had dinner with a friend, a male entrepreneur, and I was a bit down in the dumps. And I told him that story and he looked so puzzled by my unhappiness. And he said, whenever I get rejected, I use that as impetus to prove them wrong. And it was such an different take on it, probably like such a kind of masculine take on it, but it was like a real revelation too, that there was sort of a different approach to how you sort of react to rejection and move on from it. So that's like one thing that has been somewhat helpful that, you know, not walking around like seeking revenge. But I think a second one that's more important is I'm really busy. You're really busy. Like I have an inbox filled with emails I haven't responded to, people I haven't called back. Like there's so many things filled with sort of guilt for all of that. And I think it's really important when you hear a no to understand that it's not about you. Like I'm certainly not trying to reject anybody. You just don't know like what's happening in that person's life or why they're not responding or why you didn't get that thing. So much of life is about timing and serendipity. And and so it's just important to just take the pressure and blame off yourself and understand that there are no's for all sorts of reasons. And it's just a matter of like finding the right yes. And I find that keeps me on track as I receive my 10th no of the day. (laughs) But that's so powerful that the no is just, maybe that wasn't the right path, but there's another path for you. You will find the yes some other way. All the things that you didn't get in life, all the times that you rejected or didn't get the role you wanted. Now, are you sitting like here today sort of filled with regret for those things? Like you can't remember half of them. Well, so as we close out Women's History Month, 
What advice would you give our audience on building their community, whether that's for entrepreneurship, for their career, or just to be more satisfied? I think it starts early. So often when we're thinking about building relationships, we're looking sort of ahead at like who is important or like who can bring value. And every time I speak to college kids, like I hear that where they're like trying to figure out sort of important people they can have in their lives. And those people are like sitting right next to you. Like when I think about my early career, when I was an intern or a junior executive or a student, like all those people that I came up with, I built relationships with, are now the CEOs, editors and chiefs. And and so community starts early and it's really about building that community around you, being thoughtful and intentional about having good people around you, people who sort of build you up and make you sort of the best version of you, people who you share sort of ideas and who inspire you. In terms of like finding community sort of outside your natural spaces is to be out there, is to go to things. Like thankfully the pandemic seems to be ebbing away and the world is opening up and this is a really incredible time to go and to be out there and to go to things. And so many online communities are springing up. So I feel like there are just so many places to go and to build and to be sort of thoughtful. And I think that there's a difference between building community and networking where networking is really like collecting. Like I have this person in my Rolodex and that person. But building community is like building relationships with those people. It's like meeting people where there's a meeting of minds and really sort of following up and supporting one another and just building sort of roots becomes a relationship that stands the test of time. And that's really why like, I don't like events that are like, I'm wearing a badge and I'm just like working the room because those are not the people who will go to the ends of the earth for you. Like it's the people that you really are sort of thoughtful and intentional about how you sort of continue, stay in touch with and support in various ways. So it's organic and a continuous process. And it's not only for when you need something, it's all the time. That's right. So lay the groundwork now so that you can make the ask of someone. Getting back to your original point on trying to be transactional, that's okay. But you need the relationship first and you really need to be kind of willing to give and take with others around you. One of my closest friends, I'm sure you'll know, is Reshma Sojani. We found a girl's who code and we've been friends a very long time. And we're at a point really where she can shoot me a text and just ask, like, there's no hello, but we just get it. It's what we do for each other. And she's like a really great example, actually, of someone who really walks the talk. Like every time I see her, she always ends with, what do you need? What can I do? Like that's always, and she means it and she will do it. Well, Dee, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights. And I hope to see you soon in person as we open back up. I cannot wait. You need to host something. (laughs) Done. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dee Poku. It's inspiring to hear her journey from the entertainment industry to entrepreneurship and community building. I loved hearing how she learned to deal with rejection and find the right yes. I hope that you can take these lessons and build your own community of women who will support your success. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss any others. For J.P. Morgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.